as we were gathering, we talked and shared amongst ourselves about some of our personal fears and phobias. So I want to see now how they compare to what researchers and psychologists believe are the top 10 most common human fears. Now these are not necessarily our greatest fears, but these are those most commonly cited. And this list has remained pretty stable across about 50 years of research in more than a dozen countries. At the bottom of the list, at number 10, is a fear of flying. Fairly modern fear, this, but I've flown about three million miles in the last decade or so, and quite a lot of that has been spent sat next to people who are gripping absolutely white-knuckled to the chair next to me, which always makes me want to ask, do you think that's going to make a difference if we hit the ground at 300 miles an hour, just quite how tightly you're gripping the chair? That's number 10, flying, but I'm not quite so brave and bold with number nine, which is snakes. Now, snakes are probably the oldest fear, and I'm at least probably biblical in having a fear of snakes, but I am absolutely terrified of snakes. And we have to look at these other phobias and say that something we might be afraid of, other people might be extremely bold with. Number eight is confined spaces. Uh, so my, again, I'm absolutely phobic about that. My worst nightmare would be potholing. You know, when you go those tiny kind of dark tunnels. In fact, number seven is darkness. So I don't like dark spaces. I don't like confined spaces and I don't like snakes. These are the only three things I have in common with Indiana Jones. That movie was just absolutely terrifying. The thought of being trapped underground in the dark with snakes. Number six unless I'm in Australia, it makes me feel remarkably bold, and that's spiders. And it's the one place of bravery I have within the house, but I'm not bad with small spiders if I'm in the UK. Not a big fan if I'm in Australia. Number five is a fear of deep water. Now, I was actually pretty scared of deep water when I was a child. We used to go every year to the Isle of Wight, uh, and when we got on the ferry at Portsmouth to go across, there was one morning when I said to, I was looking very anxious, and my parents said, what's wrong? And I said, the sea looks very deep today. I really didn't like the idea of water where you didn't know what was in it, and you couldn't see the bottom. Still not mad about swimming in very deep water. The weird thing is, ever since we've had a boat, I'm far more afraid of shallow water than deep water, because that's a much bigger problem. Number four is probably the trendiest of 2020, and that's a fear of illness or being unwell. So now we get to the big three. At three is a fear that's pretty common to lots of people, which is heights. But number two might surprise you, because at number two is the fear of death. Now, while death shouldn't hold any fear for us as Christians, my own thought about it is perhaps similar to Woody Allen, who once quipped, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. So what is it that we're all at least when we're asked about our fears, much more afraid of even than death. The number one fear across 50 years of surveys across more than a dozen countries, consistently the top fear is a fear of public speaking, which leads to one of my favorite ever Jerry Seinfeld jokes, who says that the fact that public speaking somehow beats death, he describes like this. According to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking, and number two is death. Well, if death is only number two, does that sound right? Because that means that to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you'd be better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. Whether common or uncommon, all of these phobias and fears have all been learned over our lifetime. Because we're all born, in fact, with just the same two innate fears. 
and that's the fear of falling and the fear of loud sounds, neither of which makes it anywhere near the top 10 by the time we're adults. You see, using some rather sneaky but ultimately safe and quite humane tests on infants, scientists are confident that babies are born with just two startled reflex triggers. They're triggered by loud sounds and by the perception of an edge or of falling. As we come to our passage, I think that maybe we uncover what might be a third innate fear that we all seem to share. I will call it for tonight megaphobia, because that is the rather fabulous Hebrew word used in verse 8 for the complete, humongous, abject, total fear that the shepherds experience as the glory and goodness of God is revealed on the hillside that night. The NIV translates this as terrified, but I think megaphobia captures their terrified response more palpably. Because I don't think that they were just startled by a loud sound, as with infant phonophobia. I don't think they were somniphobic or terrified to be woken up in the middle of the night. I don't even think they were afraid because, let's face it, you never really just receive good news by being woken up at 3 a.m., in the morning. The passage says that they were megaphobic, completely terrified because they suddenly experienced God's awesome glory shining all around them and they're totally consumed and overwhelmed by fear, awe, shame and inadequacy to find themselves in the presence of such holiness. Throughout the Bible, almost every encounter with the glory of God invokes this same megaphobic, complete terror reaction, usually requiring a swift word of reassurance and encouragement from either God or one of his angels. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hagar, Moses, Isaiah all need this kind of do not be afraid response, a phrase which is listed 150 to 160 times. In Luke 1 verse 13, the angel has to say to Zechariah, do not be afraid. In Luke 1 verse 30, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. In Matthew 28 verse 5, the angel says to the women at the empty tomb, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But in Luke 2, this time is subtly different because the angels are declaring that God is about to set aside his glory so that along with the shepherds, we can have the opportunity to encounter God, to encounter Jesus in the Bethlehem stable. Luke chapter 2, verse 12, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. From mega glory to humble manger in just two verses. The first megaphobia-busting good news of Advent, then, is that God will set aside his glory to reach down and reveal his love for us through the birth of a child. Although, this is not the last do not be afraid of the Bible. For while the baby Jesus is fully human, the glory of God is manifest in him. So even Jesus still had to occasionally reassure those around him that there's no need to be afraid. Jesus will say it to Simon Peter in exactly three chapters' time, after filling the fishermen's boats and nets with a miraculous haul. 
It's just in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In Matthew 17, Peter, James and John fall on their faces as they see Jesus transfigured. And Jesus reaches down to them saying, get up, do not be afraid. Walking on the water in the midst of a storm, Jesus says, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of a storm? I think by that point they've forgotten the storm just as soon as they saw Jesus walking through the waves. So are humans just naturally megaphobic? As well as falling and loud noises, are we all designed to be afraid of this third thing? Is megaphobia, the fear of God's glory, innate? Actually, quite the opposite. Humans were never designed to suffer from megaphobia. We are instead designed in God's image. We are made to spend time with him and worship him. In Genesis, we read how Adam and Eve are naked without shame, and they walk and talk daily with God in the garden. They freely enter into his presence and experience his glory, all without fear. Megaphobia, then, is not how we are designed to live, but an aberration that started only with the fall. It is evidence of a pandemic of shame, an epidemic of this overwhelming fear of judgment and punishment that grieved God enough to send his son to a stable and his angels to the hillsides to rescue us. All that we need no longer be afraid. Megaphobia is not inevitable, but has been part of the human condition since the fall. The fact that we expect to feel shame and that to, feel, to fear punishment feels so natural and inevitable is what makes fear our spiritual enemy's greatest lie and biggest weapon. Psychologists now have a whole category devoted to social phobias that have nothing to do with our safety and everything to do with our shame. Consider that top 10 list. Our number one fear is not physical death, but the potential social death of public speaking. And the most crippling fears in our lives are these social fears. Now, I am honestly terrified of snakes. But let's face it, I don't come across snakes very often in Leafy Linfield. So what is it that I'm actually really, truly afraid of? What are the fears that stalk me at 3 a.m.? that restrict my freedom, hamper my capacity to love, and limit my life. Honestly, I'm afraid of making mistakes. I'm afraid of getting hurt physically and emotionally. I'm afraid of looking foolish, afraid of missing out, afraid of being laughed at, afraid sometimes of not being noticed at all, afraid people will not like me, afraid of what other people will think and say and do afraid I am not good enough. Because of these social fears, I am socially awkward to an extent that interferes sometimes with my capacity to enjoy common social situations, and that in turn inhibits others' ability to enjoy themselves. These fears, not the ones we write in lists and talk about in public, are my real fears, 
because these are the fears that get in the way of our ability to love, our freedom to live, our capacity to trust. These are the fears that limit my courage, inhibit my actions, and thwart my ambitions. My megaphobia has to do with my fear of shame, judgment, and punishment. My gut reaction is like that of the shepherds, like that verbalized by Simon Peter in Luke 5. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Which is where our next Advent gift comes in. The gift of love. Because you see, God has a plan to restore our relationship, to overcome our megaphobia, all of our social phobias. God knows that our fears are real, but he also knows that our fears have an enemy, and that enemy is love, his love. Bob Goff, one of my favourite Christian authors, who I quote often on Sunday mornings, wrote this recently. You might think that hate is the enemy of love. It's not. Hate is merely the opposite of love, but not its enemy. Hate only has as much power as we give it. Love works that same way. It's fear that stops love in its tracks every time. If fear is the enemy of love, then love is the enemy of fear, and therefore love can change everything. I want to play you now a short advert about this relationship between love and fear. Fear is the deafening sound of war. Love is the hand that quiets it. Fear is the voice that's never heard. Love is breaking the silence. Fear is the truth that's locked in the dark. Love is the courage that frees it. Fear is the hunger that starves all hope. Love is the food that feeds it. Trokra, until love conquers fear. That was a cinema, an award-winning actually, cinema ad for Troycare, a charity in Ireland. Now, I love that advert, and it really captures this balance between fear and love. But the good news, the better news than that advert of until love conquers fear, is that because of the good news of Christmas, through the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ, love has indeed conquered fear. In 1 John 4, verses 16 to 19, we read, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. 
We love because he first loved us. We love because of his love. And we fear. We fear because our fear has to do with our guilt, our shame, our faults, our failing, our expectation of judgment or punishment at the hands of God and each other. That is our personal mega phobia. Because we know through 1 John that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. But the enemy of megaphobia, complete fear then, is John Wright's perfect love. That expression perfect love is sometimes translated as complete love or total love. But actually, there's a better word we can use, a Hebrew word, mega love. Mega love casts out mega fear, completely casts out, not cancels out, not covers over or grants us superhuman courage to strive to overcome on our own, but just as completely as Jesus cast out evil spirits or just as light entirely banishes darkness, so God's love leaves no room, no hiding place, no foothold for fear. Our fears seem huge but they are puny up against the enormous mega love, mega glory, mega power and mega goodness of God. God reached out to us through a baby in a manger, but don't think he is in any way limited by an infant or human frame. But remember instead that shining radiance, that glory and goodness that drove our shepherd friends mega phobic, that big God that night on the hillside. That's the kind of mega power we have on our side in our fight against our fears. We have human-sized fears, and up against that, God offers us this supersized, mega-sized love. I don't think the fight is even close or fair. To live life to the full, to be emptied of fear, we can instead be filled with mega love. Now, fear is still the greatest weapon of our spiritual enemy. It enslaves us, makes us feel worthless, and renders us paralyzed and powerless. But we started today by asking, what do we fear? I wonder if now you might have different answers to that question, and I hope perhaps a different response to your fears, because we can only be joyful, faithful, worshipful, grateful, and hopeful when we are empty of fear and filled instead with love. This Advent, let the love of God completely change your life and listen and obey along with the shepherds as the angels implore us, do not be afraid. Christmas is an amazing story, but it won't change your life if it's just a story that makes you try to be nice or to be good. Because even when we keep all the rules, we're still keeping hold of all of our fears. In fact, as the fear of punishment and judgment is the most tempting fear of all, keeping the rules is actually part of the problem, never the solution. Our Advent lesson today then is not be good, be nice to people, keep all the rules. It is simply this. There is no need to be afraid any longer. God set aside his glory so that you may know for certain that you are loved with a mega love, a love sufficient to cast out all fear because fear has to do with punishment and you are forgiven.
in any moment, in this moment right now, we can let ourselves, let our decisions, let our lives be ruled either by our fears or his love. That quote from Bob Goff from earlier concludes like this. If you think about it for a moment, most of what we do is motivated by either love or fear. The trick is to figure out which one is doing the talking at any particular moment in time. You see, the enemy loves to speak to us, to puppeteer us, to motivate us through fear. But God never speaks to us through fear, but always using the language of love. I know all the good decisions, brave decisions I have made have come when my fear has been outspoken, overspoken by his love. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, we read, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So what are we truly afraid of? And what might those fears be causing us to miss out on? Well, because of social distancing, I cannot help you if you have a problem with spiders. Because of human nature, I cannot help you with a fear of falling or loud noises. You should still take sensible precautions to stay safe and wear a mask. And I wouldn't try shopping in Waitrose without at least a fig leaf to cover your modesty. But the promise of Christmas is not that all fear will end. That will not happen until Christ comes again. But until then, fear remains Satan's favourite plan. But we need no longer be afraid. Instead, we are a loved people with no room for fear. A forgiven people, we no longer live in fear of judgment. Because Advent brings the promise that God has set aside his glory to usher in the beginning of a new testament, a new covenant, a new regime, a new reign of love. And when love comes up against fear, love wins every single time. This victory of mega love is the reason the angels can say, do not be afraid. And it's the Advent good news that the angels promise will cause great joy for all the people. But you know what the word the angels use for joy is even bigger and better than merely great. Instead, the angels call it mega joy. But I'll stop there because the wonderful topic of joy is our Advent subject with Keith next week. So in a moment, I'd like us to pray together. But first, as a response and a reflection, I'd like to play you a modern reworking of a classic hymn of praise and worship. As we listen to the king of love, my shepherd is, I pray that the truth of God's love will speak clearly above the whispering, deceptive voice of your fears. Confused and foolish, I have strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing bought me.
But now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your saviour. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful truth that you know our name, that you summon us by name and we are yours. May that assurance, may that comfort, may that joy help to salve our fears. May the knowledge that we are forgiven take away our guilt and shame. May the knowledge that we are loved Give us comfort and strength to face the enemy. May that knowledge that even when we pass through the waters, pass through the rivers and walk through fire as we inevitably will, you will be with us. You will not let these things overwhelm us and sweep us away because you are our God, our comfort and our strength. Amen. <laughs>